way we say it when we do our conferences and so on is that you have a field. Your field is everything that uh, is assigned to you, everything that, that God, your own choices have assigned to you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Today's guest is Stephen Mansfield. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author and a popular speaker who coaches leaders worldwide. He first rose to global attention with his groundbreaking book, The Faith of George W. Bush, a bestseller that Time Magazine credited with helping to shape the 2004 U.S. presidential election. The book was also a source for Oliver Stone's award-winning film, W. Mansfield's The Faith of Barack Obama was another international bestseller. He has written celebrated biographies of Booker T. Washington, George Whitfield, Winston Churchill, Pope Benedict, and Abraham Lincoln, among others. Publishers Weekly described the book Killing Jesus as masterful. His recent Mansfield book of Manly Men is inspiring men's events around the world, which we'll touch on today. Mansfield's latest book, The Miracle of the Kurds, is a timely introduction to the Kurdish people that reached bookstores just as Kurdish troops began standing heroically against the evils of ISIS in the Middle East. The book has been named Book of the Year by Radah, the leading Kurdish news service. Stephen speaks widely about men, leadership, faith, the power of heritage, and the skills required to shape modern culture. He's also an in-demand leadership coach whose firm, the Mansfield Group, is based in Washington, D.C., but before we get to Stephen, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Van City Buzz. Van City Buzz is our new sponsor that we're so excited to have on the show. Do you love Vancouver? Stay connected to your city with latest in news, events, sports, music, and more with Van City Buzz. Check out vancitybuzz.com or search Van City Buzz on social media. Now, without further ado, Mr. Stephen Mansfield. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, man, it's great to be with you. So before we get started, we always like to ask our guests, what if you could tell us a little story about a defining moment for you as a man? Uh, I, I can, and I, I hate to be repetitive, but the, the best story, the one that most defined me, is the one I tell briefly at the beginning of my book, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. And basically it's this. I got stuck in Damascus while trying to do some relief work in Iraq years ago. And a friend of mine there was, you know, sad for me that I was stuck in this hotel for two weeks, decided to have a party for me. I was with a bunch of Arab men on a roof of a hotel. We weren't able to talk to each other very clearly. And finally, one guy turned to me and said, do you have a son? I said, yes, I do. And he said, what is his name? And I said, Jonathan. And he said, then you have a new name. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And they explained to me that when a, when, a, when a man in Arab culture has a son, it's such an honor to him that they give him an honorary name. And it's a combination of Abu, which means father, and then the partial name of the son. So they started calling me Abu John, father of John or Jonathan. Well, when that was announced, we they brought out food and started up music and started dancing, and it went on for hours. Now, my son was 13 years old at the time, but these guys had just discovered that I was a father, and they celebrated me as a father. Now, that doesn't sound like it's all that dramatic, except that I came back to the States after that trip, and it, I was very tender, and I realized this was the first time in my life I had ever been welcomed to any phase of manhood. 
You know, you go to high school, you go to college, you get married, you have a child, you, you know, maybe get a promotion at work. Nobody comes to you and both, you know, honors you and maybe imparts wisdom to you. And here were guys on this roof I couldn't even talk to. Frankly, looking back, probably some of them were registered with Bayer State Department as terrorists. You know, I mean, it was Saudi, it was, it was Syria after all in Damascus, but they were officials and they were, they were selling, they were welcoming me to manhood. And I, when I came back to the States, I just thought, you know what, this is part of the problem. Uh, we were just not honoring the progression of men uh, through their lives, the various stages of their lives. And there's this African proverb, I'll wrap it up with this, African proverb that sticks in my mind all the time. It says, if we do not, if we do not initiate the boys, they will burn the village down. And perhaps part of what's going on in our world is we're not recognizing the development, the stages of a man, the times you ought to be honored and imparted to and, and celebrated. And uh, so, you know, young men, of course, in our world are partially tearing it down. So anyway, it was a big lesson for me and a big turning point in my own life. Thanks for asking. That's incredible. And I mean, in your book of, you know, the book of Manly Men, you kind of talk about, you, you actually say the goal of the book is, is simple, that you want to identify what a genuine man does, the virtues, the habits and the disciplines. So, I mean, you know, we all kind of conceptually know that, that the sort of introduction into manhood and those celebrations of, of manhood are, are extremely important. And we've kind of gotten away from them in our North American society. You know, can we, do you mind diving into that? Like, how do you think that we kind of solve for that? What do we, what do we do? Well, first of all, we have to have an understanding of what manhood is. I mean, I sit with a lot of young guys on college campuses after I give speeches, do debates and so on. And uh, late at night, they'll just turn to me just almost in desperation and say, look, I, I know we're all screwed up, but just, just tell me what to do. Nobody's ever told me what a man does. Just tell me what, just tell me what to do. And, um, you know, I realize that the young generation, you guys are probably of that age, and the millennials, they're not like the, the, the boomers. The boomers had a very therapeutic approach to manhood, you know, healing the father wound and, and, and you know, the masculine journey. And those are some of the book titles that were popular. But the younger millennials like, look, screw it. Let's just get to it, man. What, tell me what to do. And, and I'm happy to pick it up at that point because I think manhood can start with the doing um, and the doing can lead to whatever kind of internal things need to happen. And so um, once we start understanding what manhood is and can be, once we start understanding the definition of what a man is, well, then we know what we need to celebrate and affirm at each stage of a man's life. I mean, I really celebrate our Jewish friends who have the bar mitzvah for a 13-year-old boy and say, buddy, welcome to it. You're, you're now a son of the covenant. You're now part of us. You're now part of the, part of the leadership of Israel, and you've got responsibilities, and you're among us, and we're going to teach you what those are. Imagine what it's like for a 13-year-old to be taken under the wing of the older men. Well, where is that in the rest of society? Where is that in, you know, I'm a Protestant. Where is that Protestant world? Where is that in, you know, business world? Where is that in our society? And then, you know, you can just go on from there. Yeah, you graduate from high school, but that's a huge transition in a man's life. Where, where are the men who are pulling in with the younger men and saying, dude, this is going to be a major change. I want to talk to you about it. I want to give you some wisdom. I want to celebrate you. And so once you understand what manhood is, once you understand how it, how it works in a man's soul, well, then you know what to punctuate, what to celebrate, and what to draw out. And that's that's the critical progression we've got to get back to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think on, on that point, what are some of the things that really, you know, on that note, what are some of the things that really define a man or can, you know, I'm sure that some of our listeners out there are like, okay, I'm obviously a guy, but how, how do I define myself? And what are those sort of things that I should be looking for? Or what are some of those values and virtues that I can actually be instilling in myself to feel more grounded and centered as a man? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I think, first of all, a man has got to find a, a commitment 
to being the man he's called to be. He recognizes that being a man is not just a slight biological difference from women, that it actually comes with a set of behaviors, it actually comes with a set of expectations. Uh, He's actually made for purposes. And, you know, we can, we can talk about destiny, we can put it in a religious framework if we want to, but, but at the bottom line, a man is uh, made for certain purposes. And I think that the, the purposes he's made for, this is sort of number two, the purposes that he's made for uh, have to do with taking responsibility. The way we say it when we, when we do our conferences and so on is that you have a field. Uh, your, your field is everything that, that, that uh, is assigned to you, everything that, that God, your own choices have assigned to you, uh, everything that you are meant to be about in this season of your life. Own it. Take responsibility for it. Uh, protect it. Uh, nurture it. Cause it to grow from your wife, your children, people who live with you, your properties, your jobs, your, the things you've committed to in the community, etc. Take responsibility for it. I think that responsibility puts a magnetic pull on a man's soul, draws out the best of him. It's why we see guys transform when they go into the military. We see guys transform when they get married and suddenly own up to their responsibilities. So it's not that, not that being a man is all duty and all responsibility, but when a man uh, accepts responsibility for the field that he's meant to own, protect, nurture, and stand guard over, uh, that's when we see men, many men stepping up into uh, real, true manhood. And then, and then one more thing, very quickly, I know I'm going long, but uh, one more thing is that the, 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 a man also has to understand he cannot do that alone. And so one of the things I'm really big on, I imagine we'll talk about a bit, is the idea that a man also has to build a band of brothers around him so that he can do the very things that he's made and assigned to do. Yeah, you, you like to talk about this this band of brothers. I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack what that exactly is and, um, you know, what does it look like for, for, for a man? Well, I appreciate the question because, you know, the statistics show that men, for the most part, in the Western world, uh, Europe, United States, Canada, that we are, men, for the most part, are walking alone. Uh, they may have had friends in their youth. They don't, don't really have meaningful friends in their older days. And, and so they, they walk alone. The suicide rate in England for men over 50 is sky high. And uh, the psychologists tell us that when they study each, each case, they're finding that a huge amount has to do, a huge amount of the cause has to do with, with just pure loneliness, not having any friends. The average man in the United States doesn't know who he'd call to get his son out of prison or jail, I'm sorry, at, at, at 3 in the morning. Or, or, or if he was out of town and had to call somebody to help his wife at 2 in the morning, who would he call? Who would he trust? It just goes on and on and on. So most men walk alone. And so, uh, you know, back in college and high school, uh, you know, a band of brothers, a gang, a, a posse, a bunch of guys, that was pretty easy. You know, they were in the dorm, they were on the team, they were in the school, in the neighborhood. But men in their 30s, 40s, and on up, uh, for the most part today, don't have any meaningful relationships around them. And so the skill we've got to reclaim is, is building a band of brothers. If you're going to be a good man, if you're going to accomplish what you're made to be, you're going to have to have a, a group of men around you who love you but are not afraid of you and with whom you have what I call a free fire zone. Anything can be said that needs to be said to make me better. Now we have, I have a band of brothers and we have a lot of fun together and we love each other and we're very rowdy, but the core commitment is that we're going to help each other become better men. We're going to do life together and anything can be said that needs to be said to make us better. And some of my little group are, you know, fairly famous people and some of them are ex big old, you know, NFL athletes and some of them are, you know, just uh, unknown guys, but great guys and accountants are all different personalities, but their common commitment to each other is we're going to, we're going to help each other perfect noble manhood in each other's lives. And then we're going to bring the young men into it. We're going to bring our sons into it. And I got to tell you, it's been one of the most transforming experiences of my life. None of us walks alone. All of us has other eyes on us. 
you know, you've probably gone to a party and had somebody take a picture from an angle that you didn't expect. And you look at that picture later and you go, oh my gosh, who is that? You know, in my case, it's like somebody, somebody took a picture of Jabba the Hutt. You know, I just look terrible in them. Well, I mean, I don't even see myself accurately in the mirror. Other people can see me. Other people can see what I need. Other people can, uh, can see where I need to improve. And so a band of brothers is a bunch of guys doing life together, but with the commitment to make each other better and then to bring the young men into that and, uh, and nurture them as well. And I, I tell you where that's happening, it's pretty powerful and transforming. And, and just to be clear, this isn't just a bunch of buddies that go out and you know, grab beers and watch the, you know, watch the football game together. This is something more deeper. So how do you cultivate that, that level of vulnerability amongst one another? Because let's be honest, as guys, we don't, we don't have that as strong of a, of a vulnerable muscle as, as women. You know, how does that come out and, and how do you nurture that? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, I think men have got to develop the skill of turning the friendships they already have kind of in a band of brotherish direction. Uh, there are these great tests that they do where they put uh, little girls in a room, you know, with toys and chairs and all kinds of things. And then they put little boys separately uh, in a room with toys and chairs and what have you. And they watch them. Inevitably, the little girls turn the chairs towards each other, sit opposite each other, look at each other. And then one of them says, I like your hair, you know, and they start, they start dealing with each other directly. The little boys turn the chairs side by side so they're looking out at the rest of the world, and then we all know how little boys are. One of them says, I bet we can set that door on fire, or, you know, <laughs> I bet we can climb that hill, or, you know, I bet we can steal the teacher's car, or whatever, or you know. Uh, I bet we can chase that girl. I bet we can beat up that sixth grader, you know, yeah. whatever the thing is. You know, but they, to them, it's doing something together. So, uh, for men, you got to take the relationships that you have. And if you don't have relationships, start building what I'm describing right now, which is indirect kind of activities that, that gets guys together, but doesn't bring them together for the sole purpose of staring into each other's souls, you know, or getting, going deep emotionally. Just, just fun, rowdy things. You know, the, the best, best words in the world for a bunch of, a bunch of guys starting on a journey of Band of Brothers is, let's eat. And so, you know, just something that allows indirect contact. But then, the, the, the way I urge guys to do it is take the relationships you have, take the guys you like, the guys you're working out with, the guys you're hanging with already, and turn that relationship a bit more towards the Band of Brothers concept by simply enlisting help. For example, if you and I run every other morning and we get to know each other and know each other's families and so on, if I want to turn this a bit more in a Band of Brothers direction, I might just turn to you and say, man, how do you handle it when your wife does so-and-so or your son does such-and-such or how are you? How do you deal with not just flipping out when a girl's wearing those yoga pants, you know, or whatever it is that you're talking about? Help, help me out with that. You seem to have that together. Now you've turned from just two buddies hanging out to two buddies thinking about each other and and trying to figure out how to help each other become better men. And as that grows and involves a few other people, now you got a band of brothers. And over time, you, know, you get to know each other's families, you get to know the deformities of a man's soul and also his goodness, his greatness. And, and you really can be both the encouragement and the, 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 the counterbalance, the check, uh, the guardian that, that, that you need to be. This has absolutely transformed my life, and I'm so grateful for it. I want to see more men in this kind of thing. So I'm wondering if you can share you know, a, a situation in which uh, your band of brothers has, has been there for you um, and, and perhaps has has come to you know come to your uh, to your service or uh, has helped you out oh man uh, so in, in so many ways the, the main thing is 
uh, and I'll tell a story in just a minute, but the main thing is my band of brothers loves me, but is not afraid of me. Now, I'm, I'm kind of well-known. I'm on TV a lot, so some people might back away and might not tell me the stuff they need to know. Um, but, you know, I've got, I've got a couple of guys who are ex-NFL in my band of brothers and some other guys like I've described, and they, but trust me, <laughs> they will say anything to me that needs to be said. So one dude said one, one time years ago, he just turned to me and said, you know, I never feel important in your presence. I, I feel like I bore you from the moment I open my mouth. Well, I can't tell you how that hurt me, but how necessary it was in my life. Because I didn't mean, he, did, he wasn't boring me, but my way of looking off in the distance when I was thinking, um, my way of really paying close attention to what he was saying, but just my body language and so on, made him feel like I couldn't have cared less that he was even there. And man, I realized that that had been a problem in my leadership my whole life. The, 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 one, that I, the one that I most remembered and most tender about is that I had one of the, uh, these guys in my home, and one of the bigger athlete guys came to me and said, you an idiot big black guy, big African-American. He said, you an idiot. I said, well, well, thank you. And, and he said, you don't even know what your son's doing, do you? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I want, I want your permission to meet with your son. And I said, sure. And he was, he, so this guy went upstairs. This guy's huge. Went upstairs, opened my son's bedroom door, said, you and me lunch tomorrow. I'll be there and walked out. I mean, that was it. Well, it turns out that this guy had a background where he could figure out what, what something my son was doing that was destructive to him. And I never, I never figured it out because I came from a different background, different culture. So I still to this day don't know what it was, but I so trust this guy. He took Jonathan to lunch. He pulled in with him. He helped him through it. And, and, uh, and I don't know what it is, but I trust my, my, my man here, my, bro, my band of brother, my, my, the guy in my band of brothers, to have helped me with my son. And, and that's, that's an example of the deal. We, we, do, we can't do this noble manhood thing together. I mean, I'm not sure it takes a village, but in my case, it does take a band of brothers to do this thing right. And I'm sure this man turned my son's life permanently. I'm sure he was heading, you know, even though he was a great kid, in some direction that might have been destructive to him, and I couldn't see it. But this guy could, and he dealt with it, and the two have a very special relationship to this to this day. And that, to me, is part of the fruit of a band of brothers. Mm. Yeah, I think the you know the band of brothers concept is is pretty phenomenal, and I you know it's I appreciate the fact that it's coming back because it's something that is not only is not only needed, but I think it's something that a lot of men are actually looking for. And you know we've created a space like that within Man Talks to to actually bring guys together and create that sort of brotherhood. And I can tell you that it's been one of the most powerful things because the men are seeking it, right? And I think that there's a lot of guys out there, like you talked about in the beginning, who are kind of experiencing that that sort of separation or loneliness, and they don't feel like they can, you know, really go talk to talk to a group of guys that are going to hold them accountable. So I kind of wanted to just touch on the the importance of accountability and responsibility, and you know, maybe if you can if you can just share with us how important those two aspects are. And, you know, how you build that within the actual group environment, because I'm curious as to, you know, within your band of brothers, like, is there, you know, do you have like the leader? Is it, is it like a wolf pack? How does how does the social dynamics work within the group? Yeah, every group is different. And that's actually one of the joys of it. But 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 you're absolutely right. You know, it's it, it there's got to be this thing that we call accountability. And uh, I call it more free a free fire zone only for this reason. A lot of people, especially in, in churches, tend to men tend to talk about accountability groups. Well, an accountability group is it's a great concept, but what it often means is that is that a dude's got to figure out what's wrong with him, wait three weeks, drive across town on a Tuesday morning, and while he's eating biscuits and gravy, he uh, he tells the guys what's wrong with him, so maybe they can pray for him or encourage him. I I need I think most men need uh, people who are closer in, who know them, who do life with them. 
I, I don't. I, if we're waiting for me to figure out what's wrong with me, so I can tell you three weeks later, I'm going to be dead. I, I need some guys who know what's going on with me. So I want to walk closely enough with men where if one of my buddies, who I know has got a great wife at home, is checking out the backside of the waitress nine or ten times during a meal, I can go, hey, man, what's up? What's going on here? Or, you know, one, two glasses of wine is fine. The bottle, what, what, hey, 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 take a minute here. What's up? That's not you. Or, you know, the guy drops 15 F-bombs. Or, you know, all the signs that a dude is angry or upset. Or maybe you overhear his conversation, cell phone conversation with his girlfriend or his wife, and you can tell something's not right. I think we men have got to walk closely enough with men uh, with, with a band of brothers that we know each other's lives without having to be told, without having to be sent a written invitation. And this is, this is what men miss. You know, you, you walk closely with somebody, you, you know, the contours of their soul, you know, their normal way of talking, you know, who they usually are. When something goes amiss, uh, it, it needs to be detected by somebody who's close enough. I'll tell you real quick, just briefly, I have a consulting firm, and one of the things we specialize, have specialized in, um, is the, the, the what we call the leadership crash. It's where maybe a corporate CEO, you know, has the affair, blows up the company, or is found stealing the money, or what have you. And we help, we help both the individual and the company rebuild. You can't believe the number of times that a bunch of people knew that the leader was in decline, saw the signs, but didn't know what to do didn't know that they should respond, didn't, didn't saw that this guy was pulling away from his friends or it was bitter with his wife or whatever the signs were, but, but had no way to respond. And that's what a band of brothers does. A band of brothers is just, just as they're committed, welcomed, involved, and they're not, they're not waiting for a written invitation. And they're not, they're not standing around looking at each other and saying, well, who's going to talk to him about this? We all are, dang it. Real quick, one of the, one of the guys in our group years ago uh, kind of got right up to the edge of an affair. And um, he was real shamed, and he, he kind of a wealthy guy. So he he left town and went to his house in Colorado. And well, we we found out about it. And I want to tell you, we didn't we didn't ask we didn't call him. We didn't ask to be invited. We didn't ask his wife's permission. We all got on a plane, flew out there, rented a car, went to his house. We knocked once. He didn't answer. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. One of our NFL guys kicked the door in. And we went into the living room and sat down with him. We were with him for days because we love him and we're not going to let him just tear up his life. And how, how, how did we come to that commitment? Well, because we're walking closely with each other uh, and have developed enough connection, intimacy, and knowledge of each other uh, that we knew that this man didn't want to blow up his life. We knew this was a temporary thing, and we knew he was, frankly, just an idiot. This was one of the, this is one of the soft areas in, in his life that he had to watch all the time. So that's, that's how it works. It's manly. It's bold. It's tough. Uh, but it but it keeps you walking right, and it keeps you healthy, uh, and it keeps you set on the vision of noble manhood. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's exceptional. And you know, I think we all have those areas of our life that we struggle with, and I like the way that you put it this the soft area of our life, and we we genuinely, I think everybody wants support with it in some way, shape, or form. And you know, those blind spots are hard for us to see, and it's so powerful when we have somebody or a group of people that can hold us accountable to that. So I'm kind of curious because, you know, within this dynamic of you call it the free fire zone of being able to just hold other people accountable and hold them to their greatness or the things that they want to achieve, you know, where it's almost like whose responsibility is that? Because I feel like there's some men and I know I've fallen into this trap before in my early 20s and, and mid 20s where I almost wasn't like receptive. Um, I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted that connection, and I didn't have it. And it, I definitely went down uh, a bad, a dark path because I didn't have it. I didn't have those guys to, you know, hold me accountable. But I was almost closed off and made it look like, 
you know, everything was great. So, you know, is it is it that you should surround yourself with guys who you know are going to call you out on it? Um, should you just be the type of man who who just shows up and and holds other people accountable to it? Like, you know, is there is there responsibility on both sides of the fence for the people that are are needing the help and for the people that are wanting to give the help? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's a great question because most of us are covering over. Uh, the very areas that we need help in, either with, you know, manners or prickliness, you know, don't, don't, don't talk to me about that. I'll blow up or I'll be mad or I'll, I'll break off the friendship kind of thing. And, and, and those are just tactics to cover the, the most important things that we need to be dealt with in our lives. What, what I uh, talk about with men is build a culture around you. Uh, of the kind that you want to be living in. So, for example, if you and I are off at lunch and we're just talking and, and, and you just, you just bring something up, I might say, well, how, you know, is that working well for you? Cause that sounds awfully harsh or, or was your wife okay with that? I mean, I mean, man, uh, talk, talk to me about how that works for you. Or, you know, just, I, I, I just, the people in my life, young and old, they know, it's not that Steven's, you know, the big confronter, you know, the big harsh guy, but if we're going to have a relationship, uh, everything's pretty much going to be out on the table. And if I see something dysfunctional in your life, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up and say, hey, tell me about that, man. I want to I want I want you to be whole. I want you to be great, and uh, especially with young guys because I'm a little bit older. I'm in my fifties, so it's a matter of culture. It's a matter of saying, look, let's 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 cut to the chase here. Uh, if we're gonna be friends, you know, let's not let's not ignore the most significant things, the ticking time bombs in our souls. Uh, let's talk about them. Let's uh, let's bring them up. And yeah, I'm gonna bring it up. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, some young guy I'm on the campus, he goes, man, I was so drunk the other night. Well, it's not on his daddy and I'm going to spank him. I'm going to say, man, tell me, tell me what drives you to that. You know, just being completely stoned out of your mind in the gutter when at the same time you're hoping to be president. I mean, help me, help me understand. Uh, and I, and I just start to bring it to the surface and start to talk about it and, uh, and do it at every age. And I encourage them to do the same thing. You know, we've been sitting here for two hours. What do you see in my life I could work on? I mean, just, just turn it to that level of discussion. But the main thing is, here's the main thing. I remember when I was very much, uh, confronted by some of my friends years ago about something, and uh, I was devastated. And my background, my psychology, to be confronted, to be rebuked, was to be rejected. So when these guys started walking out the door, I thought, that's it, they're, they're never talking to me again. And one of my big African-American guys turned, turned, turned to me and said, you coming? And I was just, you know, I was really broken up. I said, you want me to come? He said, yeah, you're buying, get over here, you know? And so we went out the door, went to the restaurant, and it was never brought up again. Um, and, and that's that's that sense of, look, I'm committed to you. I may have to whoop your butt on a, on a, at a given moment, or, or we may have to have a tough conversation to get past some stuff, but that's what a band of brothers does. That's how we're committed to each other. It's always going to be confidential. It's always going to be for your good. And, and, and no, this is not rejection. This is actually me, us moving deeper into your life so we can all walk together as a band of brothers. And that, that to me, is the exciting thing. And that's why you know, I've got guys I've been walking with for decades now, and so it's very deep and very intense, but nobody is fooled about each other's deformities, and so we can help each other. And, and it comes from choosing to remove those very prickly kind of, you know, those acts that we do, the way we cover ourselves so that nobody gets close to what's really, you know, destroying our lives. You just mentioned uh, confidentiality and you talk about these free fire zones. In these relationships, do you have any sort of no-go zones? Uh, is, that a, is that something that needs to be... You know, are those ba- are there certain boundaries that need to be discussed? I can imagine, you know, a lot of the a lot of the conversations in these groups revolve around personal relationships and whatnot. And I'm sure there are some areas that some men are not comfortable going down. Is that okay to have those boundaries, or or does it need to be completely free in order for the group to be successful? 
Well, in our, in our group, the only two that we have set that are absolutely off-limits unless the man himself brings them up is what happens in the bedroom and our money. You can't dive into either one of those things unless you just do it loosely like, you know, gosh, you just told us last week you were hurting financially, you just bought a $500,000 car. I mean, you can do that kind of thing, but you can't say what do you got in the bank. Now, at the same time, if some guy says, look, I absolutely will not talk about porn, I refuse to talk about, I'm not going to talk about porn, well, we're going to go, That's that'll work for you for about three weeks. So we'll, we'll let you talk like that, but please understand, because we're committed to helping you and walking with you to be a noble man, we, of course we're going to talk about porn. It's one of the biggest plagues of our generation. So, yes, you, can, you just need to know it's coming. And the guy will go, well, I won't talk about it when it happens. I said, okay, you know, you know, pass the burgers. I mean, just, you know, whatever. We just keep moving right on. But if he stays, he knows it's a free fire zone. So we could define others given who we are. Um, our group particularly talks about race quite a bit. You know, we got some African American guys, and it's not the happiest time in America for, you know, guys who are prominent African Americans, and some of their sons get pulled over by police at three in the morning, you know, for doing nothing but driving down the road. And, I'm, you know, I'm not accusing the police. I'm obviously pro law and order and the police, but, you know, if you see it through an African American man's eyes, you realize, you know, he's got a tough road. Well, we're not going to not talk about that. You know, we're not going to not bring up race. We're not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, look, Dude, you're famous NFL guy. You're going to speak to a room full of police next week. How are you going to do that since you're so ticked off at cops for what they did to your daughter a few months ago? You know, obviously we're going to bring that stuff up. But yeah, there are some things that are off limits. And like I say, every group's different. You can, you can have different cultural sensitivities and what have you. For us, pretty much it's, it's the bedroom and, and the, and the check, checking account. With those aren't brought up unless a person just wants to volunteer that information to get help. And what are some of the, I mean, in, in your book, you talk about virtues and sort of creating this, this group. I'm curious because it sounds like a lot of the, you know, the context um, for building a successful group is really respect and accountability and openness. What what are some of the other virtues that you think are important, not only for the band of brothers, but for really being, you know, a successful man and, and really living in your in your manhood? Yeah, you know, it, since I believe that one of the things a, a man really ought to do is take responsibility. Uh, for the field assigned to him, for for the for the total body of things that he's been given to do, some of the virtues like courage, you know, the the, the thing that kills manhood uh, often is a lack of courage, a lack of willing to stand, willingness to stand right up to the very boundaries of what you've been responsible for, you know, turn some responsibilities over to a wife, you know, the son's having problems, man, I hope the coach talks to him, man, I hope his mom has a conversation with him. Well, now hold up, you're the father, you're responsible, step up to this thing, this is your son, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, another area is, uh, uh, is, is overcoming bitterness, forgiving. You know, we all have enough wounds in the, in the course of our lives to let those wounds completely deform us by the middle of our lives so that we're bitter, angry, small, vindictive people. Well, everybody needs help getting over the areas of the, getting over those wounds. How do we do it? We gotta forgive. We gotta live beyond it. We gotta live above it. So, you know, things that sound real soft and churchy, like forgiveness and, and loving and moving on and, and, and choosing it, lay, lay, lay it down kind of attitudes. And sometimes we use African American church language because we've got a couple of guys like that in our church, in our group. And some of that language is really, really great to, to help us, you know, lay, just lay it down, brother, you know, kind of attitude. And not, not everybody in our group is, you know, in the same place religiously, but the bottom line is, you know, those are the things that deform a man's soul. I'm often asked, what's the thing you see most damage great manhood in a man's soul? And it's bitterness, bitterness to your father, your coach, God letting you down, your mother dying early, you know, what they did to you in high school. I could give you a whole list, but to be a great man, you've got to, you got to lay that stuff down. So somehow 
you've got to be able to, to overcome. And so what I do in the book is I, after I lay out the four maxims that, that I really think is a kind of an on-ramp for, for noble manhood, uh, I start talking about various figures in history and how they, uh, you know, how they exhibit, illustrate virtues that a, that a man ought to be incorporating in his life. Uh, the capacity for friendship and loyalty, the, the, the ability to, to uh, draw a legacy out of suffering. You know, Winston Churchill's father hated him hated him, treated him horribly. But when he died, when Churchill's father died, Churchill said, well, I'm going to carry on the noble task of his life and, and live that out as my banner. And, and he did. And it's part of what made it great. And here he could have been, you know, left embittered and broken by this very, very difficult man who, frankly, was descending into madness. So I talk about a lot of virtues like that. And then once a, once a, a band of brothers reads the, reads the book and other books like it, they begin to get a sense of what the virtues are they ought to be encouraging in each other's lives. And, and that's when I think things really begin to come together. You know, I love obviously this this band of brothers concept is is not you know not a not a new concept. Uh, it might you know the words might be new, but you know the whole idea of men being together is or or coming together is, has long been a, a thing. I'm curious though, who instilled these sort of virtues in your life, and and who 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 sort of shone a light on on these things and made them important to you. Well, I'll tell you honestly, it was two things. It wasn't just one person. First of all, I'm a historian. I'm a doctorate in history. I lecture and teach on history in addition to the other things that I do. I pay attention to men in history. It's what I write about and what I lecture about and interested in. And I often often notice that, that in the lives of great men, significant friendships were often critical and decisive. That I, I could go through a whole list of people and situations and famous people where you know, really the turning point in their life and the thing that kept them going and kept them strong and, and kept them on track were, were significant friendships. Well, I began to look at our age, uh, our time, and, and again, the statistics show that most men report not having those relationships, and yet we sit in movie theaters and admire them. And so I, I would realize about my own life, you know, I could study uh, the relationships great men had in the past. I could go to a movie like, uh, you know, who knows, Seabiscuit or whatever, Apollo 13, see a, see a group of guys helping each other become better, and I'd look at my life, and, go, and I don't have any of it. Well, I don't want to spend my life studying the past and studying fiction, you know, in movies, and, and wishing for it myself. I, I think this is what we're meant to have. So really, though I'm not taking credit for it alone, it was it, originally with me, it came out of a doggone it. I'm not going to admire something past and, and on film that I, I don't try to build in my own life. And I went in pursuit of it. I went in pursuit of it with men who I knew who had it. I went in pursuit of it uh, with what books there were about it. I studied a little bit men's relationships. Being an academic, I always start with books. And before long, I began to realize men just build relationships differently. It's not a skill we're teaching in our generation. I'm doggone well going to do it because I'm suffering for lack of it, like everybody else. And that's when I decided to turn my own ship and learn a few things where I could help some other guys do it. People people do it in many different ways, many different cultures. You know, I I teach on this and do conferences on this all over the world. A Filipino band of brothers looks different from a you know an African American band of brothers in D.C. and and then maybe guys in Hawaii and so on. It's got different different contours to it, but it's all basically the same thing. A free fire zone of safety where we make each, help each other become the best we can be. And my turning is very much like a lot of other guys. I just got desperate enough. And, and got tired of admiring it at a distance and not having it immediately in my life. 
So, you know, we'd like to shift the conversation to sort of what's going on in your in your life these days. You have a new book that you're about to, to come out with. I'm wondering if you can tell listeners all about that and perhaps can we tie it in uh, to the Man Talks conversation and, and, and let us know, you know, what the what the book is all about and if perhaps there's a there's a, a conversation around uh, men that we could tie in. Well, actually, the book I'm writing right this moment is a, is a small, brief addendum to Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and it's called Building Your Band of Brothers. Uh, interestingly enough, we're talking about this. I, I alluded to this theme in, in Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, but I, I, didn't, I didn't go fully there because my goal was just to raise a vision for, for noble manhood and not to get overly practical and, and, and kind of directional. But then I realized I, I need a little inexpensive you know, supplemental book that the guys can use in groups, guys can carry in the briefcases of their pockets, and, and, and really have the, the practical techniques of building a band of brothers uh, laid out for them. So I'm actually finishing writing that right now, and then we'll, we'll publish it sometime this spring. But that's the book I'm on. And, and man, I'll tell you what, I'm working on something like that, and I'm going through the holidays and watching movies and talking to guys and you know traveling around speaking. I really see the desperate need for it, just the desperate need for it. I, I do a lot in the military, and sometimes military guys, high-ranking and as impressive as they are, they're some of the loneliest guys going. They have less of a band of brothers than anybody because they're always being transferred by the military. They never can be can build real deep relationships. So recently, that's really been kind of the laboratory where I've seen these 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 truths violated, and where I've seen that band of brothers desperately needed. So all of it forms kind of a commission to me. Let's get this stuff out there and help people. What would you say is sort of the state of men in America today? Obviously, uh, there's there's been a lot going on in the United States, but I'm, I'm curious, it, has there been a, a major shift or has it been a consistent sort of uh, state over the over the past few years? I think right now we are still in decline overall. There are some major books that have come out in, in, in the U.S. that really chronicle the decline of men. Women are in America are, are ascending and breaking records, kind of breaking the glass ceiling uh, in, in huge numbers, better, more than ever. But men are in decline by almost every single statistic from income to performance to job satisfaction to health. And uh, basically, uh, I summarize it as the guerrilla theory of men. The prevailing view is that men were necessary, uh, you know, when the frontier needed to be tamed and the cities needed to be built and, you know, someone needed to tote the barge and uh, you know, pull the veil, lift the veil, tilt the barge, all that kind of thing. But now that we live in a digital social media age, the, the experts say, well, men don't really have the aptitude for that. Women really are better at it. And whether that's true or not, and I don't think it is, frankly, I think women, they're, they're both equally gifted for it. What it's done is it's, it's I call it the gorilla theory of men, uh, that men now are kind of, you know, confused gorillas in the corner of their cage eating a banana and scratching themselves and trying to figure out, well, what, what happened? And, you know, don't get me wrong, I celebrate the achievements of women. I'm, I'm all for women ascending to everything they can ascend to. But, you know, it's not like there's a pie only of one size and what women, if women do well, men have to do badly. Men are doing badly for a bunch of reasons, most of them their own fault. But statistically, it's absolutely true that American men are in decline by almost every single measure and women are ascending and we, we've not turned it yet. And that's why I feel such an urgency. And the ones, by the way, who suffer the most are the boys. Because if the boys don't have men to uh, protect them, explain them, train them, mentor them, then the boys are going to continue to descend. And worldwide, I would say that young men, bitter, unfathered, untethered, are doing a huge amount of destruction from ISIS to gangs to what have you. Uh, that's really becoming the plague of our Western world. And so um, I'm very eager to see, it, see us deal with it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I think a lot of people would agree with you. You know, a hundred percent. I'm kind of curious. Just before we start to wrap up, 
you know, what are some of the what are some of the traps that you see the sort of common man falling into? Because I think, you know, that's one of the pieces where, you know, maybe the guy's going along and he's kind of, you know, you know, maybe listening to this podcast and he's thinking, okay, I don't really have a band of brothers and I don't really have those things, but he can't really quite put his finger on you know, what's actually stopping him from going out and, and creating that band of brothers. So what are some of the main traps or, or pitfalls that you see most men falling into? Is it just that idea that they buy into um, that like guerrilla mentality where they, you know, they're buying into that sort of social commentary that they can't do those things or, or what, what is it for you? Well, it's a couple, three things. One is a many, most, every man, I think, needs to take a look back at his family history. Uh, what kind of manhood was encouraged by your father, your brothers, if, you know, the people that men, men around you? Uh, how about the generation before that? Many men have received kind of a passive, unengaged, uh, uninvolved kind of, uh, sort of style of manhood that damages them, even though they don't realize it. Then second of all, many men have got things they're ashamed of in their lives, and they don't really want to bring them to uh, in front of other guys to be dealt with. So there's kind of a shame factor. There's kind of a let's cover it, let's hide it, let's not talk about that kind of thing. And uh, I don't want to force a guy to talk about what he doesn't want to talk about. But, you know, if, you, if you've got some secret thing that's just a cancer on your soul, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never really get out of that unless you talk to some guys and get some help. I mean, the average guy needs help being a man. That's just the bottom line. So you've got to, have, you've got to be willing to kind of, kind of open up those, those dark closets and let some light shine in. But I think that the, uh, the thing that most guys have a difficult time with is most men don't have, we know now by statistics, the, the basic skills of building a friendship. Uh, you know, we can have casual conversation. We can chat with the guys at the office or, you know, at a restaurant or something, maybe even play uh, sports with a guy. But we have almost no ability to turn that thing towards any level of depth. And that's why that, that illustration um, that I use with the kids being tested, girls versus boys, is so important. I think most men, if they, re- if they realize as a result of what we're saying right now on the air, that uh, this that they have a desperate need to have other men significantly in their lives, they got to create events, uh, what I call indirect events, you know, watch the game on TV, you know, cook up some steaks, go for a jog, you know, go out, do, do have some fun, go to a movie, do the indirect things to start to build friendships, and then eventually turn those friendships in that band of brotherish, uh, a bit, a bit deeper uh, direction. But most men don't even have the practical skills of building friendships. The friendships they've had in their lives have happened automatically. But if they had to go pursue a friendship and then turn it, turn it to something deeper, they wouldn't know how to do it. So that, that's why I say, build, create an indirect event, an opportunity for guys just to hang together, and then you know, go the next step, which is, hey, you want to go for a jog tomorrow? You know, hey, you want to, you know, go fishing, whatever. And and while these indirect things are happening, begin to have the conversations that turn things a bit more directly. And then as it unfolds over to, over time, you, you you may have a significant band of brothers like like a lot of us do now. But but yeah, it's 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 it, what's keeping most men from having a meaningful band of brothers is what's going on in their own soul that they're either covering or afraid of, and then finally where they just don't feel like they have any kind of skill at all because nobody ever taught them. And, uh, and and all those things have to be kind of taken on courageously. Yeah, that's you make a really, really fantastic point, which is, you know, some of the most powerful relationships that, that I found in my life are the ones that I actually built and pursued. 
and and vice versa. Like some of the most powerful relationships that I have are because another man actually like came in. Like Roger, for example, um, he were friends because he reached out to me. He you know heard me on a podcast and was like, "This is exceptional. I want to be a part of this." And he just straight up reached out to me, and we've built a really great friendship. And so you know, I think one of those the, the core concept there is really be in action. And if you see a you know a friendship that might be something that you think would be beneficial for you and the other person to just go out and build it. And I, I love that idea. So so thanks for sharing that. And just to kind of wrap it up, the, one of the last questions that we love to ask is, um, what is the legacy that you would like to leave in the world? Well, fortunately, we're talking about if I had if I had a choice of, of any legacy to leave, you know, 200 years from now, men are still doing something, people are still doing something because uh, of how I lived, uh, other than just what passes down through the generations of my family, uh, I would like to have helped create a significant turn in the fortunes of men in the world. Uh, I, I would like to, to have identified what the challenges are, uh, shown a path to meaningful bands of brothers and noble manhood, uh, and, and created a movement, an informal movement. I'm not looking to, you know, fill stadiums or, you know, start, start an institute, but, but, an, but an informal movement that changes generations because men began to move out of the guerrilla phase decidedly, humorously call it, and began to live out noble manhood and help each other do it and, and uh, inoculate, uh, not inoculate, but initiate their sons uh, in, into the same thing. If I, if, if I could launch something like that, a kind of a viral movement that would, that would go on for generations, I'd consider my life worth, worth it completely. That's, that's so incredible, Stephen. Stephen, before we go, what's the best way that our listeners can get a hold of you? You've done so much and, and there's so much out there. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you or learn more about you? Well, the best way is stephenmansfield.tv. That's my website, and everything we do is there, stephenmansfield.tv. But to keep up with me sort of on a daily basis, uh, Twitter, at Mansfield Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, at Mansfield Rights. Uh, is the best way to reach me. Definitely. Everyone needs to go to stephenmansfield.tv. And to learn more about Mantox, you can visit mantox.com from our podcast, blog posts, uh, which we have a lot of amazing ones up there. We've done an incredible job uh, lately of of getting more guest writers up there. Um, so check it out. And of course, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so that you never miss an episode. You have been incredible so far, but we, we absolutely love getting more listeners to listen to the show. Please leave us a rating on iTunes as well so that you can get the podcast into more people's hands. Thank Thanks so much to those guys that have left us reviews, specifically Sean M. McMillan and Xander Robb. You guys have been great. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. True, 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 true.